Coming up on Stu Does America, Sean Trendy from Real Clear Politics is here with his expert analysis on where this election is heading. You don't want to miss that. And Joe Biden clearly took issue with our characterization of his events last night. Just wait until you see the banger of a party he threw today. Wow, you're going to be blown away. Watch this stupid little show on YouTube by subscribing to our channel. Just search my name, Stu, and I will be the first one there. Don't forget to hit the bell that notifies you when we post. And you can listen to this stupid show on podcast by heading to your favorite provider and subscribing. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review that I can read at the end of the show. It's great, whatever. I don't care what it says. And all you number crazy conservative nerds out there should be finding some special content, updates as polls come out all the week uh, leading up to the election. It's going to be a lot of fun. Don't miss out on that. And as always, support the network that supports this stupid show with a subscription to Blaze TV. From now until the election, just head to blazetv.com slash stew. Enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And you're going to get 30 bucks off, which is the biggest deal I've ever seen him do, at least. So what's going on with the election? It's a week from tonight. Can Trump still win this thing? Let's do Trump's path to 270. Stew does America. One week until the election. Let me introduce you, particularly if you happen to be on the left, to the process of elections for president in the United States of America. Donald Trump didn't even win the popular vote. That doesn't matter. That's not the system that we have. If you want that system, you can go to a country that has it. But we don't have it here. That's not how this works. No one's campaigning to win the popular vote. No one cares about it except you after you lose. That is the whole rule. That's how we operate here in the United States. There are 538 electoral votes. You need 270 to win. You gotta have 270 to become president of the United States. So tonight we're gonna look at Various maps, various charts. Look, you're a conservative nerd. I know you're here with me on this one. Uh, we're going to be looking at all the roads, the, the most common roads for Trump to get to 270. Obviously, there's a million combinations to get there. But what's really likely? Uh, how does this actually look as we sit here one week before election night? By the way, to tell you, I, I know I mentioned before, blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew for 30 bucks off. We're going to be doing election coverage on uh, election night. So a week from tonight, uh, this show, I think, gets preempted for election coverage. But I'll be on the election coverage, uh, giving you all the rundowns of the states as we're, we're going to be calling them as we go. If you never have experienced Blaze uh, TV's election coverage, I think you'll really like it. It's a lot different than like MSNBC or CBS. It's going to be uh, really interesting, and we're going to try to give it to you straight on, like, uh, we're not going to give you any spin. There's not going to be any media spin here. We're just going to kind of give it to you, tell you what we think is happening. Uh, and whether the news is good or bad, at least you know you have someone you can trust at Blaze TV. So we'll, we'll give it to you straight. All right, so let's start off the uh, electoral map and kind of set the, the, the beginning stage, the foundational stage here as we build to 270. Right off the bat, we're going to give some states to Joe Biden. Here's what we're going to give him. Massachusetts, Delaware, New York, California, Washington, D.C. Of course, three electoral votes there. Hawaii, uh, Maryland, Vermont, Connecticut, New Jersey, Illinois. In Maine, we're going to give uh, the uh, congressional district number one uh, to Joe Biden and the statewide vote. They break up their electoral votes that way. He gets two there. Rhode Island, you get four. Washington, 12. Colorado, nine, New Mexico, five, Virginia, 13, and Oregon, seven. Now, that's a total of 212. And so we're starting off this, uh, this road 
with Biden having 212 pretty much sewn up. Now, you never know with these things, right? There's a week left of the election. All the disclaimers apply. Who knows? Alien space bunnies that are vampires could attack at any time and say, you know, look, vote for Donald Trump or I will kill all of you. And we're probably going to vote for Trump in that scenario. Uh, But as of right now, I think those are pretty safe calls, uh, at least as to where they stand right now. Um, Giving to Trump on the other side, there's a bunch there as well. Uh, South Dakota, three electoral votes. Tennessee, 11. Alabama, nine. Kentucky, eight. Idaho, four. Uh, Nebraska, four. Uh, North Dakota, three. Oklahoma, seven. West Virginia, five. Wyoming, three. Alaska, three. Kansas, six. Louisiana, eight. Utah, six, Arkansas, six, Michigan, 10, or excuse me, not Michigan. That's uh, Mississippi, right? I probably, yeah, we're not giving him Michigan. I, that, that would be a big call. I think we get a little bit of a misprint there. It should be Mississippi, I believe. Uh, Indiana, uh, 11, Montana, three, and South Carolina, nine. Anyway, the total is 125. That's the bottom line of what you need to know. But I want to give you a starting point of where we are. That's Biden, 212, and Trump, 125. If you're looking at the map now, you can kind of see that we have some uh, a bunch of states that are un- they're undecided or at least leaning in one direction. And this is basically where this election will take place. Who's going to win these remaining states? Now, the remaining states I'm going to break down into three categories. We have kind of like one category of states that should be easy for Trump to pick off if he's going to win. And the medium difficulty and then hard difficulty. This is going to be the most challenging uh, for Trump to have any chance to win. He basically needs to sweep the should be easy states. And I say should be easy because of the past and how elections have lined up uh, looking backward. But really, polling right now seems to say these states are basically tied. Trump really needs to pick these off. There's no real path for Trump to win unless he pretty much sweeps these states. It's mathematically possible for him, him to win, but really unlikely if he doesn't do that. So let's look at these states that we have in this group. Um, Texas. Uh, 38 uh, electoral votes. In 2006, Trump won Texas by 11 points. In 2016, excuse me. Um, In Georgia, 16 electoral votes. In 2016, Trump won by five. In Ohio, there's 18 on the line. Uh, Trump won by eight in Ohio. In Iowa, Trump won by uh, nine. There are six electoral votes there. And in Maine, the congressional district number two has one electoral vote. And Trump won that one by 10 last time. So Trump kind of, you expect him to win all of those. It would be surprising if he starts losing um, a good chunk of those. But it's not impossible, I will say. If you look at that list again, can we bring up that list one more time? Do we have it up by any chance? Um, Because Texas is showing basically a tie right now. Ohio is showing basically a tie. Georgia is showing basically a tie. Iowa is showing basically a tie. And Maine's congressional district number two is showing basically a tie, maybe a slight lead uh, for Trump there. Point is, this is not going to be an easy road just to pick this off. But let's just say that happens. That gets us to 212 for Biden, 204 for Trump. Now, we've got a nice competitive race here. Now, at 538.com, uh, they have a simulator where you can kind of see how odds change as you go through each individual state. They currently uh, think that Trump has a 12% chance to win the election. Not very promising. But if he wins just those races we've discussed so far, he's up to 31%. So now he's a one in three type of uh, opportunity. And this is where we go into our next batch of states. Now, these are the, the, the states with medium difficulty for the president. These are your swingiest of swing states. But right now, Trump trails in the polls, uh, most of these, by between two and four points. 
very winnable, all close enough to win, but he's slightly behind. And here's the states that we're going to put in this category. Florida, with 29 electoral votes. Trump won by one point in 2016. North Carolina, um, uh, 15 electoral votes. Trump won by three. Arizona, 11 electoral votes, and Trump won that one by four in 2016. And then, of course, our favorite conversation piece, Nebraska Congressional District number two, one electoral vote, Trump won that one by three. Uh, That's one that's bounced back and forth. Obama won that, I believe, in 2008. Uh, So here's path number one for Trump. Let me walk you through this. The most likely path to victory for the president, and and for him to get four more years, uh, is to sweep these medium-difficulty states. That brings him to 260 electoral votes and gives him a 77% chance of winning the election with six states left to decide. And this is going to be, if Trump, it's like you could see a scenario where Biden wins in some sort of landslide, at least if you believe the polls. But if Trump wins, I feel like we're going to be on the edge of our seat. So that's actually what you're rooting for here. You're you're rooting for a close one, most likely. 260 electoral votes in our scenario uh, one for Trump. But 260 is not 270. He's not done yet. He needs to dip into the hard category of states in order to get to 270. So here's how he can do that. He only has to win one of these four states. The good news is he won three of them in 2016. The bad news is he is behind in all of them today. So we start with Michigan, uh, 16 electoral votes on the line. He won it by 0.3% back in 2016. However, polling currently showing him down seven points. In Wisconsin, 10 electoral votes on the line. He won by seven-tenths of a point back in 2016. Polling showing him this year uh, minus seven. Pennsylvania, uh, 20 electoral votes on the line. He won by seven-tenths of a a percent. Polling shows him down five. And Minnesota, uh, 10 electoral votes, uh, has him down. He uh, lost that state back in 2016 uh, by only two and a half points, though. Polling uh, has him down nine points currently. There is one other possible route here to just add on. There's two other states in this category. He could lose all four of those, but win if he won both of these states, Nevada and New Hampshire. Now, Nevada has six electoral votes. New Hampshire has four. He needs 10 total, so he need to win both of those. Uh, but he is trailing by seven and 10 points uh, in the current uh, polling scenario. So that's where we are. Scenario number one for Trump to win. He wins all of his expected states. He wins all of the easy states. He wins all of the medium states, and then he picks off one state from the most difficult swing state category. Uh, it's possible. He's done it before. He did it in 2016, but he's, it's, a, it's a heavy lift. Now let's look at scenario number two. Okay, we go back to our starting point. Uh, Joe Biden, 212. Trump, 125 as far as electoral votes. Once again, we give Trump the states that should be the easiest. That's Texas, uh, 38, uh, Georgia with 16, Ohio with 18, Iowa with six, and Maine's congressional district number two with one electoral vote. That lands us at 212-204. Biden with a very slight lead. This time, let's have Trump showing strength in the Rust Belt. Now, after all, this is where the polling errors were largely in 2016. And it was believed, uh, you know, that it was a a scenario that was tied to white voters, the way they measured them, especially uh, non-college educated whites. They were sort of underrepresented in a lot of these uh, polls. And that's the big thing they're trying to fix for 2020. In this scenario, uh, Donald Trump can lose New Hampshire, North Carolina, Arizona and Nevada. And let's assume another close loss in Minnesota. But Trump can win 
Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Now, if he can do that, that map gets Donald Trump to 279 electoral votes. Biden is at 259. This is scenario two. Trump wins the expected states and the swing states that should be easiest. Plus, he shows Rust Belt strength, winning Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And notably, by the way, all states that he won last time. This way, uh, he can win, even if he shows comparative weakness in the Sun Belt. But he still has got to have Florida. Has to have it. Pennsylvania and Florida are likely the two most important states in the election. Now, this one's a little different. Let me end with utter chaos for scenario number three. Trump again wins the expected states, uh, the easy ones, and the easiest of the swing states. That's back to our map. We've showed you a couple times here. Biden 212, Trump 204. To remind you, for civics reasons, you need 270 to win. We then give Trump Arizona, Florida, and North Carolina. Totally plausible. Okay? That's Biden 212, Trump 259. Next, let's give Nevada, Pennsylvania, Michigan, New Hampshire, Wisconsin, and Minnesota to Biden. Very plausible he would win those states. That brings the count to Trump 269, Biden 268. We gave, uh, yeah, we gave, uh, what was it? Uh, I don't know, we gave one of the 10, oh, it was Minnesota maybe? One of the 10s, I can't remember, to, uh, to Trump. So here we are, Wisconsin and Minnesota, I can't remember which one it was. Anyway, 269, 268, here we are. Biden is behind by one. There is one electoral vote outstanding, the second congressional district of Nebraska. This is a toss up race right now. If it goes to Trump, he's the next president of the United States or continues to be. If it goes to Biden, oh, my, you've got to tie 269 to 269. Now, it's very, very unlikely it plays out exactly like this, but nothing implausible has to happen for this to be our reality. And if that did happen, we'd have craziness surrounding trying to get electors to to switch sides, which could be part of this. It would be this incredible escapade of backroom promises to random people you've never heard of. Imagine what the Democrats would do to win over one elector uh, between the uh, election and uh, in January. Can you imagine the things they would be offered? I can't even... I can't even describe how crazy this period would be. Now, let's just say it gets through this whole period and somehow it stays tied. Then the Senate would pick the vice president and the House would pick the president by state delegation. Now, it is very possible that this state delegation breakdown ends in a 25-25 tie as well between Democrats and Republicans. Now, the theory would be, of course, that everyone would pick their own guy Then it would go over to the Senate again. Um, Whoever they picked for vice president would become the president. That would be either Mike Pence or President Kamala Harris. But they could have a tie there, too. And if that happens, welcome to 2020 and welcome to the White House, President Nancy Pelosi. We keep saying that 2020 couldn't get worse. Well, 2021 might just tell us to hold its beer. Considering everything that has gone on this year, there has to be like a 90 percent chance Nancy Pelosi becomes president. I mean, and I will say that really sucks for the country, but I am going to sell a lot of these damn pens. A ton of Nancy Pelosi sucks, Ben. 
that's, that's the one positive. It does just kind of fit, doesn't it? Not just because 2020 has been so utterly terrible, but also because it's a terrifying situation and we're only a few days from Halloween. tell you about Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, they offer a variety of roast profiles from light, medium, and dark, all sorts from around the world, with a rigorous process and roasted in the United States. Uh, we had people over, uh, guests over the other day, and they had some coffee, had some Black Rifle Coffee. They're like, oh, this coffee's really good. I've heard you talking about this on the show, but uh, this is really good. Like, what do you think I'm talking about it for? I think I'm just making it up. It's good coffee. Everyone who drinks it loves it. It's really, really good. You're going to like it, too. Black Rifle Coffee uh, comes uh, through the Black Rifle Coffee Club to my home. It's a free subscription where your chosen coffee is roasted, packaged, and shipped right to your door on your schedule, which is great, especially if you're going back to work. If you're in, like, a post-quarantine, uh, you start finally going back to the office and you don't want to give up your good coffee, get it delivered right to work. You can hide it in your office so no one else gets any, but, uh, you know, it's yours. Uh, you're buying it. Black Rifle Coffee comes to you. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash stew is the place to go. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll get 20% off your first purchase. It's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew for 20% off. Here with Sean Trendy. He is, of course, the senior elections analyst at Real Clear Politics. Sean, thanks for coming on the program. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We're one week away from the election. Uh, before we get into uh, this race, can you help me walk, walk everybody through um, the 2016 situation? People always say to me, we can't trust polls. They got them wrong last time. What's the truth as everyone's kind of looked back at that, at that election? Well, I, I think there's two parts to it. The first is, yeah, we did get 2016 wrong. There, uh, you know, the polls suggested that Donald Trump should lose the Electoral College, and he did not lose the electoral, or he he did not lose the Electoral College. Um, at the same time, I think we have to also acknowledge that there was a failure of reporting and of understanding. Um, you know, when, when the polls said that Donald Trump was down a certain amount in these states, there, there's always an error margin embedded in it. You know, if nothing else, when you go to a site and it says there's a 10% chance uh, that Donald Trump wins, you can't round that down to zero. Uh, mm-hmm. He will win 10% of the time. Mm. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big, uh, people understanding probability. I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to scale that mountain <laughs> as far as a wide populace goes. Um, it was interesting, though, one of the things when people talked about uh, the errors in some of the states, because you guys had the, I mean, the national polling average almost nailed exactly in 2016. Some of the state polls, uh, the conversation around that since has largely, I, at least my perception is it's based on education, weighting these polls for education. Is that the right way to think about what went wrong in 2016? We sure hope so, because that's the change the pollsters have made this time is weighting by education. Um, the concern is if you look at 2018, we actually had pretty substantial poll misses in places like Florida and Ohio and Iowa, uh, the same places we saw big poll misses in 2016. So there's a chance that what really happened, you know, in part it was education, but there's some other story being rural or lack of social trust or something that, that they really needed to be waiting for. Uh, um, so as we go to 2020, does this mean that we believe the polls? Should we <laughs> have confidence this time? Is it, is it going to be different? 
it's sort of it's sort of an analog to the old trust but verify. Mm. I would say trust but understand. Um, you know, over the long haul, the polls don't have a bias to them. They're correct, um, but we only get like one shot at a time every four years. So the polls could be off two or three points one way or the other. Um, you know, so you just kind of have to build that into your expectation. You expect that it's going to be right, but when those error margins say plus or minus three points, those those error margins are real. Mm. Um, okay, so let's talk about 2020 here. Uh, the polls, I mean, the polls, the way the media kind of tells the story is that Joe Biden is ahead. He's been ahead the entire time by a really consistent margin. This is unlike 2016, where it bounced between very close and a six or seven point lead. It's been Biden by eight nationally or more really for a long time. So a lot of these state polls have wide margins. What is the state of the race with one week to go? Yeah, I think Joe Biden is probably up nationally. I, I think if I had given a choice between taking the over or the under on the polls, I'd probably take the under. Um, I think there's a chance that in the, in the remaining week that we have, uh, this race does tighten somewhat. Um, but it's entirely possible we could see a landslide, but I just, I'm skeptical. Yeah, it doesn't feel like this. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. The margin, I believe, between Obama and McCain was a little over seven points. And here we are in 2020. This race feels completely different than that one. I mean, that one felt like a foregone conclusion for a very long time. This one doesn't feel that way. Are we just overcorrecting for this, you know, what we, a perceived magic trick that Donald Trump pulled off in 2016? Yeah, I think there is a little bit of, you know, generals fighting the last war out there that mm. we know what happened last time. But at the same time, you know, if Donald Trump has a built-in electoral advantage that John McCain did not. Like, if the race is closer than four points uh, nationally, there's a very good chance that Donald Trump would win the Electoral College. So when you see these polls showing Joe Biden up seven or eight points, you you kind of have to mentally subtract three or four points like that to really see where the race is. Mm. And that's uh, that's a that's that's a big that's a big difference. Uh, eight or four points is a really big difference. Um, can you talk to a little to us a little bit about early voting data? The press is all over this. They're constantly talking about how these numbers are showing millions and millions of people are out voting. The, the advantages are very large for Democrats in most of these areas. Is this something we should care about? Is this does this make does this tell us anything about the actual election results? I mean, I, I think they suggest the turnout is going to be high. And I think that's all they suggest. We had this exact same conversation in 2016 where people were looking at the number of Democrats who voted. They said, oh, my goodness, you know, Hillary's got this wrapped up. And then on Election Day, the Republicans came out of the woodwork. You know, I, I think if, if nothing else, in a year where Donald Trump is actively discouraging Republican voters uh, from voting by voting absentee and telling them to go and vote in, you know, in person in the polls, uh, we should sort of expect to see these types of gaps. And in, in fact, if you dig down, the gaps now look a lot like they did in 2016. Hmm. Um, OK, so uh, we were going through kind of some of the scenarios here for Donald Trump to get to 270 electoral votes. Is this possible? There's a couple of paths you kind of see maybe that same sort of Midwest path that the path that he had in 2016. Um, maybe there's that, you know, picking up, uh, you know, Florida and, and Arizona and, and North Carolina and kind of keeping that coalition together. What is what's the best path for Trump to get there? What's the most likely scenario? So I think you take Donald Trump's 2016 showing. Um, he probably, you know, he, he the weakest state for him, I think, is Arizona. 
actually. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, you, you have him win a couple of the Midwestern states, you know, probably Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. That's the most straightforward uh, approach. There's also an approach that gets you to a 269-269 electoral tie uh, that way that we no. hope we avoid. No, please. No, I can't. I cannot deal with that. Uh, why, so give me, why is Arizona the most vulnerable? I mean, this was talked about as a state that was, you know, purple for a while, but really was more of a red state. Mm-hmm. This is now, you think, the most vulnerable. Why? So Donald Trump's weakness in the suburbs has been analyzed uh, extensively. I won't rehash it. But what you need to understand about states once you get west of the Mississippi River is they tend to be, you know, there, there is some desert and you know, Longhorns in Texas and whatnot, <laughs> but almost all the vote is cast in cities. In, in Texas, about 80% of the vote is cast in uh, Dallas, Houston, uh, San Antonio, or uh, Travis County, uh, Austin. Uh, and in Arizona, almost all the vote is cast in Maricopa County. So as the Republicans lose strength in the suburbs, it swings these states very swiftly. Hmm. Okay. So is it a demographic change as well? I mean, we hear a lot about, you know, Texas is another one. I'm in Texas now. We hear this all the time. Texas is going to turn blue because demographics are changing. Uh, We obviously are seeing these races narrow in a big way in Texas. Is that the story behind it? It is a story of the suburbs. As you know, in Dallas, I mean, you, you drive, I, I used to live in Oklahoma City, we went to Dallas all the time, and, and you leave the city center and you just drive through mile after mile after mile of suburbs, um, you know, halfway to the Oklahoma border. Uh, so when those, that, there's just a tremendous amount of votes cast in uh, the suburbs. And so as the suburbs shift nationally against Republicans, here in Ohio, we have a lot of rural and small town voters that can cancel out that shift. Um, but in Texas, it, it is all about the suburbs. Hmm. Okay, uh, Sean Trenny, uh, Real Clear an- uh, Politics election uh, analyst. Um, what is the main story people are missing? If you had to redirect people's attention to one thing as we kind of like bite down and get through this last week, what would it be? I would come back to what we talked about at the beginning, which is probability. Um, you know, th- there's you can try it a whole bunch of different ways. But one one analogy I like to say is that if there is a 12 percent chance of something happening, it's about the chances of having three kids and they're all boys. That's not that unusual. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, coming up on the other end of 12 percent, not unlikely. It does seem to be impossible to communicate this to people. I mean, you know, this is a very nerdy show you're on right now, Sean. We're all kind of nerds here. We like doing the stats every day, lots of charts. But we talk about probability a lot. And it doesn't seem like that's the type of concept that just breaks through. I guess maybe it's the social media era. Maybe it's just people who don't care about these things. They only want to know, is this person going to win or not? They don't want probability. It makes people, I think, very uncomfortable. Is there any way to actually get through to people to say that these things aren't sure? No, I don't think there. I, I, I have kind of despaired. Um, I, you know, people ultimately want the binary answer, and so they're transforming your probabilities to that binary answer. And at a certain point, I just don't think there's anything you can do about it. <laughs> All right, so Sean Trendy, a senior elections analyst at Real Clear Politics. You want to just call the election now? What's who's going to win this thing? I mean, this there's no pressure. No, I mean, I think the safe bet is for Joe Biden. I think it'll be closer. You know, I I would say six points, but 
lot of uncertainty. All right. Sean Trendy, uh, everything uh, Sean writes about the election, you've got to read. It's really important. Uh, he's the author of uh, The Lost Majority, Why Future of Government is Up for Grabs and Who Will Take It. Sean, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on the program. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Back in a second. This has been the most insane year we could possibly have imagined until next year, which will be much, much worse, no matter what happens in the election or anything else, because I just expect now every year to be terrible. But beyond that, uh, it's interesting to see how fast our perception can change when it comes to big news stories or big narratives. I mean, Donald Trump got elected in 2016 largely because he promised conservatives uh, that the Supreme Court was going to get some conservative justices. Uh, He was smart to go with the list uh, from the Federalist Society and others. Uh, Mike Lee was very influential on that list, Ted Cruz. Uh, And he came up with a list of uh, 21 uh, justices that he could possibly pick from. And it went really well, right? Like we got, uh, I mean, arguably, I mean, we don't know for sure, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and now Amy Coney Barrett in the Supreme Court. And it was such a big focus of the 2016 election. And here we are in 2020, a week from the election. Last, or actually today, officially, Amy Coney Barrett sworn in as a Supreme Court justice. A massive, massive story. And I just feel like it's, you have all this buildup and then just everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah, that happened. Okay, good. What's next? There's always something crazier going on. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away. Amy Coney Barrett replaces her on the Supreme Court. We go to an election, uh, a potentially contentious one, one that could have some issues to deal with in the Supreme Court with nine justices. And that's important. Uh, Having eight is not a good idea. We have nine uh, now. And you look at this court and there's this sort of alarmist uh, telling of this tale where... uh, you know, the left says, oh, this is this conservative Supreme Court that will be there for generations and generations. Look, the Supreme Court doesn't last for generations. OK, people come in and out of it all the time. The balance changes all the time. It is not something to be all that fired up about if you're a, a liberal who's like panicked that, you know, the Handmaid's Tale is going to come to your to your block. It's not going to happen. I mean, the chances of Roe versus Wade being overturned are incredibly low. But let's just entertain this, to me, wonderful development for just a moment here. If that were to happen, it would get kicked back to the states. Tons of left-wing states, uh, blue states, have already put into their constitution or passed a law that says if Roe versus Wade is overturned, um, a pro-abortion amendment would be added to their state constitution, meaning that There'd be no difference at all in these blue states, whether someone could get get an abortion or not. It it legitimately isn't constitutionally possible in these states. That's what that's part number one. Part two, there'd be an easy if you are in a blue state, you'd easily be able to pass a uh, a pro choice amendment, probably, uh, because this is just going to get kicked back to the states. It's not going to make abortion illegal. Now, there will be red states, Utah. You know, I mean, it's probably going away. Mississippi, it's probably going away. But again, even that seems alarmist, right? Let's say Roe versus Wade goes away and Mississippi bans uh, the procedure. Well, what happens? 
There's a couple things. Number one, a lot of people are going to drive or take a flight for 250 bucks uh, somewhere else and get their abortion. Now, I, am I, do I feel terrible about that? Of course I do. I mean, I can't believe we would ask uh, a woman to have to spend multiple hours uh, on a plane, maybe, or a car and have to drive across the state line or maybe have to pay a little bit extra to get the abortion. Obviously, these should all be completely free and available next door. That's obviously the only solution. In fact, it's actually bad. Even if the abortion clinic is next door, they should all pull into your driveway with an abortion van and give you your abortion out in the front lawn. We all know that's the way it should be, right? Well, I'm sorry. There might be a little bit of an inconvenience. And I will say this. Uh, we have seen this in multiple other places where re- abortion restrictions have uh, popped into place. What, uh, there are actually abortion activists who arrange uh, for women in countries that have tight rules to uh, to send them abortion pills in the mail. So, look, the end of the day, do I want abortion to be illegal? Yes. Do I want there to be less of them? Yes. But really, the only solution to this is a moral solution, a solution where people think all of a sudden maybe life is worth living. Maybe having people born is a good idea rather than a bad one. Maybe giving every single person a chance to live their life, no matter how crappy it might wind up turning out, uh, is something that we should honor. I know it's important to me. People always say this. They're like, well, you know, um, if you abort, uh, they've aborted millions and millions of babies. Who knows how many Albert Einsteins we've lost? How many many wonderful uh, heroes, scientific minds, uh, moral thought leaders, all these things have been lost. And that's true. But you know what else sucks? The crappy mediocre person who can't give you enough extra tomatoes at Subway that we also lost. That guy. And the, and the lady who's terrible at bagging your groceries. That lady. And also the dude who just sits around playing Xbox all day. We lost them too. And you know what? They're all individual lives and they all should have had a right and an opportunity to turn their life into something worth living. And if they screwed it up, they screwed it up. But to act as if we should just be aborting, you know, babies in the, by the millions every single year. It's a horror show. And I, I do hope our country turns that around. But it's only if the American people step back and understand with something deeper than law how terrible this process really is. I do think eventually we will get there. It may very well be long after you and I are dead in the ground and not worrying about this stuff anymore. But at some point... My guess is society looks back and says, you know what was a kind of a bad idea? Removing 50 million people off the planet before they had a chance to live their lives. I think they're going to look back at that and think it's a really terrible idea. And I, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we don't know if Amy Coney Barrett's going to have anything to do with restricting it. My guess is if she has the opportunity, she'll be on the right side of that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm as confident as I could probably be going into one of these situations with the Supreme Court justice. We've missed so many times on this as conservatives. I think this one's a good pick. I hope she's a good pick. We don't know yet. But the, the narrative you get from the media is completely wrong. There's no perspective there. There's no understanding there. And there's no truth there. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, it's been kind of buried in the the election news and everything else that's going on. Philadelphia was set on fire basically last night. All that stuff going on, it's been kind of lost. But welcome to the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett. Um, do we have, yeah, we have the, oh yeah. We've got the shirts, the Notorious ACB shirts. You can get those at studosmerch.com if you would like. I will say, 
I'm optimistic, but I'm also realistic. <laughs> We've missed a lot of times on these. I'm hopeful that Amy Coney Barrett is going to show that Donald Trump did a really good job in his first four years picking Supreme Court justices. We'll see if he has four more coming up in just one week. Back in a second. Trying to sell your home in times like this, that's, it's very challenging. And that's why you need a real estate agent who's going to come in and take charge. I had to real, uh, sell a house uh, from a distance a couple of times in my life. And that is really hard because when you have these repairs going on, you've got all this craziness going on, and you realize, geez, I mean, what do I do? How do I get this stuff done? Who's going to be there to watch to, to make sure the work is done correctly? Uh, realestateagentsitrust.com is a great place to start. Realestateagentsitrust.com is Glenn's company. You can rest assured that you're going to be in the hands of the most capable people in the industry. Uh, people you know, who are constantly rating super high, uh, people who have gone through a real rigorous screening process from realestateagentsitrust.com, and people who just have great results. I mean, uh, you know, their numbers are through the roof. They're gonna get you the best house uh, for a great price, or if you're selling a home, the most money for that home. Realestateagentsitrust.com. You can get more information from, uh, from them right at realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're moving, if you're selling a house, don't go with some person you barely know. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com where people have gone through a screening process and you know you can trust them. realestateagentsitrust.com. President was campaigning in Wisconsin and uh, you know of course they have the Wi-Fi network set up for all the reporters so they can tweet insults to Donald Trump uh, with really quick and fast speeds. Uh, but the uh, they get to set the password for the Wi-Fi account, the camp campaign does, and they did so. Uh, the password was, who built the cages, Joe? <laughs> uh, obviously something from their uh, last debate performance. We actually made t-shirts of this. I don't know, I don't know if anyone, do we have the t-shirt, who built the cages? I don't know if anyone bought this one yet or has it yet. If you have one, uh, post it on, on my Twitter, at Stu Does America. By the way, I'd love for you to describe that. Oh, I should tell you this. I've been meaning to tell you this for a while. So I'm at like, I don't know, 8,000. We just started an Instagram account very recently because I never really posted on it. Post some stuff up there. Love to get that thing to, I don't know, 10,000. My wife has over 10,000 and it pisses me off. We're way behind her. So if you're on Instagram, just go Stu Does America and subscribe there so I can put it in her face and say, see, check that out. She's going to look a lot better than I do, but uh, I want to at least try to catch her. And, uh, you know, that, that makes me feel good about myself and... That's what's really important. By the way, um, I want to show you this. This is a little disturbing. Again, this guy might be the president of the United States. You heard Sean Trendy talking about it. He's probably the favorite at this point. Um, sometimes with these moments with Joe Biden, I find them funny. Sometimes they're just scary. This one to me is legit scary. This is Joe Biden the other day, I don't know, wandering around somewhere with a bunch of people around him. Listen to this. Here's the deal. One of the things that, that, that is important is that um, keep in mind, although they're going to vote on uh, uh, Barrett, I think today. I mean, it just seems like his brain sort of slowly shuts off and it just ends. and Everyone just kind of walks away and goes, oh, he's uh, he's powering down. 
That's a scary moment. He has no idea what he's talking about. He's randomly kind of going in different directions and then just fades away. This is a scary proposition, and I do not think people have internalized what it looks like to have a president of the United States who can't seem to make it through a day without one of these things happening. Although I will say there is a lot of excitement for Joe. Last night we talked about it. Maybe he didn't have that much enthusiasm behind him. That was misleading, obviously. Let me show you the hype that's going on with this campaign right now. Here's Joe Biden and a big entrance to his latest rally. Listen to that crowd. So he uh, walks, walks down the stairs. good. Everyone's sitting in their chairs with white painted circles around them so they don't give each other COVID. He sort of just slowly. Another cheer from the crowd. Listen to that crowd, guys. Tell us that guy is winning. All right. Back in a second. Let me tell you about a new book that's coming out. It's called Not Free America. Uh, It's written by uh, Mike Donovan. Uh, This guy's fought uh, tyranny for years as founder of one of the largest pro bono civil rights law firms in the country. I think it's the nation's largest, actually. Donovan puts it in his new uh, book. You know, he puts down... Uh, the conversation about freedom. He he lays it down for you. Not Free America, he talks about how our Bill of Rights has been uh, under attack for a long time, before COVID-19 or George Floyd's murder of all the crazy stuff that's gone on this year. If you refuse to surrender your liberty to any earthly power, you need this book. Not Free America solves the issue of citizens being used by the government. You know, it's more than than a book. It gives you an idea, a path to an actual solution. Visit NotFreeAmerica.com to take the Liberty Pledge and order your copy today to find out how to stop the overreaching abuse of the government and what actions you can take to do better. Uh, We must work together and and to do better, honestly, to fix our ever-compounding liberty crisis in America. Uh, Right now it's kind of a mess, and we got to clean it up. Let's unite around the concept of liberty and we can create lasting greatness. The book is called Not Free America. NotFreeAmerica.com is the place to go to get it. NotFreeAmerica.com. Order your book today. NotFreeAmerica.com. So we love uh, getting your reviews on iTunes. I will tell you, this week is a great week to subscribe to the iTunes feed or any podcast, uh, anywhere you get the podcasts. Uh, Why? Because we're doing extra updates this week. When polls break, we're going to be discussing them. Little brief, bite-sized nuggets. Subscribe to the podcast feed anywhere you get your podcast, like iTunes, this week, and they'll just come right into your feed. You'll get the latest in all the polling information as it comes out in this week leading up to the election. Let's do some reviews. Uh, Whatever. It'll do. It's better than listening to NPR. Five freaking stars. Thank you very much. Rates high on the Jerry Nadler's pants scale. (laughs) I love Stu and his... Stupid show. Five freaking stars. Thank you. Five freaking stars, except eh, it's almost on par with leakages, but nothing can, can compare to that vintage show. And I, I would agree with that. That is a trillion dollar budget, though. It's not my fault. Five freaking stars. And it's great. Whatever. I listen to this show while I walk my dog. Stu is much more entertaining than watching a dog do its business. Yeah, I made it. Five freaking stars. Thank you very much. Let me um, also tell you about next week, a week from tonight. 
Big time election coverage. Get it here at The Blaze. Go to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And we really appreciate when you do that. Thank you so much. And uh, we will see you next week. Election coverage uh, as well. And tomorrow, another new show.